Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Are you tired of being tracked online? There's a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more, all for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Bradfo Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me, Swivel Hit Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. Bradfo Show. That's delicious. Welcome to opening day. Yes, opening day. Actually, it's Thursday. It was supposed to be opening day, March 26th, at Rogers Center. Blue Jays versus Red Sox. But it is, alas, it is not. Instead, we just give you a pretend opening day, and we give you a podcast with Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet in Canada, the number one sports network in Canada, the guy I always love to turn to when it comes to all things Blue Jays, and I felt like it was a worthwhile exercise to call up Ben, who is isolated in his apartment in Toronto right now, and I am isolated in my basement here in, uh, in the Bradford Show studios, and talk to Ben about what exactly would have happened if the Red Sox played the Blue Jays today in opening day and what they were looking at. It's nice to see what might be, what might have been. Um, because, you know, listen, it, opening day is, is supposed to be something that separates itself. And we talk a little bit about that. We talk about why opening day is something, why – the Blue Jays, how, how the Blue Jays really were perceived in baseball, how they're perceived compared to the Red Sox, because everyone's so down the Red Sox, and then you go up to Toronto, and everyone's so excited about the Blue Jays because they have all these young players and the unknown and everything else. Yet, if you match up the two teams, it's still hard to pick the Blue Jays over the Red Sox, to be honest with you. It's weird talking about this stuff. It's weird talking about any of this stuff when you know the season's like months away. But that's what opening day, that's what this day is for, March 26th, Thursday, what was supposed to be opening day. That's what this day is for, to take a brief respite and understand that Rowdy Telez is two for three against Eduardo Rodriguez with two home runs. That's what this day is for. So thank Ben for coming on. You can follow him on Twitter, at B. Nicholson Smith. It's a good follow. So with, uh, let's get right to it. I know that you want to talk about the Blue Jays. I know you want to talk about opening day, at least for this one date on the calendar. 
Brad Fo show. Listen in. It's a good one. All right. Well, opening day was supposed to be a magical time. And I was going to see Ben Nicholson-Smith up at Rogers Center. Uh, instead, we are doing a podcast um, where, Ben, where are you right now? Are you in your basement like I am? <laughs> no, I'm in, my, I'm in my condo. I don't have a basement, so it's only about 650 square feet. So I've been retracing those same steps around this place for the last little while. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm here in Toronto. Okay, well, I legally cannot go visit you, even if I wanted to come there. So I, I couldn't drive across the border. Um, and obviously, we know everything that's going on. And, and, uh, but I really appreciate, as always, always good talking with you, Ben. I appreciate you joining because I thought it would be a worthwhile exercise to sort of, I guess, for our soul, for the, for the, for the feel-good vibe of opening day, of sort of go through what might have been when it came to the Red Sox playing the Blue Jays at Rogers Center. Um, and certainly, I, you know, I, I saw you, what was it, a couple of weeks ago in Fort Myers? Probably a couple of weeks ago, right? That was it. Yeah, it feels like, at this point, it feels like longer. It feels oh. like there's a whole different, you know, world back then. But, yeah, it was, it was no more than three weeks ago in Fort Myers. And at that point, it kind of seemed like, I mean, it was on our radar, all this stuff, but it still hadn't gone to the full force of, what would happen in those next few days afterwards? Oh, there's no question about it. I, I'm, I'm guessing, and I think that was, you know, obviously Wednesday night was when everything went crazy. And then Thursday, there was no more games, at least from the Red Sox perspective. But it was just a few days before that the Blue Jays had come to the Red Sox. And we're talking about the Blue Jays and what the Blue Jays are about and what the Red Sox are about. I guess I'll start here, Ben, is that this, just pretend that, that this stuff didn't happen. This is to pretend like we're going through spring training and uh, you end up on that Wednesday or Thursday. Um, how did the, the coronavirus crisis aside, how did people feel about the Blue Jays? I think there was this sense of optimism around the team. I mean, it, it's not hard to clear the bar they set last year when they lost 95 games. I mean, you saw them, Rob. They were a team that just didn't have any pitching whatsoever for the for the vast majority of the season they had outfielders who were literally taking balls off the head like it was a bad bad year it wasn't good and so to go into the offseason clear need for starting pitching they add Hyunjin Ryu they add Tanner Roark Chase Anderson so all of a sudden you have this starting rotation that looks capable I mean it's not a dominant rotation but it looks capable and then you have these rookies Biggio and Bichette and Vlad who are going into year two. So, I mean, nothing bad. I mean, with, with the exception of the pandemic, n nothing like no bad injuries happened to the Blue Jays. There were no, um, you know, torn ACLs like you see so often or Tommy Johns or anything like that. So you have a healthy team with these young players and a stronger rotation. So there was a clear sense of optimism for what was ahead. So when, obviously with the Red Sox, it's, and we talked about this when I saw you, you know, the Red Sox, it was this state of flux. They had gone through the bizarre offseason they had, and that it was, this was even before that we knew exactly what was going on with Chris Sale. We knew that he wasn't going to pitch on opening day at Rogers Center, but we, you know, didn't have any idea that maybe this was not going to be a, a thing for the entire year. When you looked at that division and the glorious – world of grapefruit league allows us to see the tampa bays and the baltimores and the yankees and the red sox when you look at this division where do you see the blue jays landing i think fourth still i mean because you know it's pretty remarkable you know you talk about the 
the losses that the Red Sox suffered with obviously Betts and Sale, Porcello. I mean, that's, those are some significant, significant losses. And yet they're still, in my opinion, they're still better than the Jays. And, and I think we'd probably, probably agree that the Yankees are the class of the division right now. And then the Rays with their pitching, I mean, that's a really good team. If, you know, assuming we get to see this season at some point. So I think the Yankees, Rays, Red Sox, that's, that to me, I don't know if you see it differently. To me, that's like your clear one, two, three. And the Orioles are, I mean, they're one of the worst teams in baseball, along with maybe the Tigers. Yeah, but here's, uh, a, bizarre, Royals, so, here's yeah. a bizarre thing, Ben, is that, is that, you know, people were so down on the Red Sox when it came people in Boston. You know, I think they didn't see the forest through the trees in terms of, oh, well, you still have, you know, a lineup that can compete with anybody. Um, you still have what is perceived as a decent bullpen. You still have Eduardo Rodriguez and, and Nathan Evaldi and whatever. But that's the biggest problem. But you lost Mookie Betts. You lost Brock Holt. You lost um, you know, Rick Porcello. You lost a bunch of guys. And by the way, did I mention they lost Mookie Betts? And I can't say that enough because that is the be-all, end-all when it comes to the Red Sox. There was this perception, I'll tell you what, when you go into that series at Rogers Center, this make-believe series at Rogers Center on opening day, like the perception in Boston was that they would not win that series. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's something. I mean, and I guess when you have a, a devastating trade, like trading Mookie Betts, and I, I can't even imagine what that would be, what that would do to a fan base. But um, when, you, when you have something like that, that obviously would, that would be pretty gutting for, for fans. But to me, when I'm looking at the Red Sox, I still look at them as being a pretty good team. And clearly, you know, compared to the heights that they reached in 2018, I mean, that's tough to match. The kind of wire-to-wire season that they had, the, the teams that they toppled in the postseason, that's obviously really tough to match. But I still think, like you said, you have the lineup with guys like Jay Martinez and Benintendi we, to still have a Xander Bogarts at the heart of that lineup. Like, that's where the Blue Jays would want to get when it comes to their homegrown talent. That's, that's where they want to be in a year or two years, but they're not there right now. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's, it's always, the people are always going to prioritize the what might be over the, uh, we kind of know what it is. So you look at Vlad Guerrero Jr., look at Bo Bichette, you look at Bichio, you look at these guys, and it's like, oh man, that's a team that I would love to root for. That's a team that I'm looking forward to seeing play. And I think that that's how a lot of people in base, I would be fascinated to see sort of the pundits whenever maybe this happens, the pundits, how they would view the, the American League East. I think, because I'm kind of with you, I think that people sort of undersell the Red Sox and, and don't really look at the Jays and say, you go out and prove it. I bet there are people who are going to pick the Jays over the Red Sox. Yeah, especially in a short season. And I mean, anything can happen, but I still go back to the point of like, the best case scenario for Bo Bichette is that he becomes Xander Bogarts, right? This high average hitter who has power, who can play defense, take the field. Like that's the, that's the best, best case scenario. And he's not there now. I know he had a great, you know, month and a half, but it's, it's 45 games. It's such a, such a difference. So, you know, even with Devers, right? Like Devers is kind of what you want Vlad Jr. to be. Again, high average power, like this guy who maybe didn't play third base that well, questions around his body, but, he gets it together. He's able to play a serviceable third base. And there you are. I mean, the, the Red Sox with their left side of the infield in a lot of ways are like, that's the dream for the Jays, but they're not there yet. I, I tell you, and you, you reminded me, it was, I think it was a series in May when Vlad Guerrero Jr. was just called up. I went and bought my Vladdy Time t-shirt at the gift store. 
And it was, it was nuts. I mean, everywhere, I think it was right in the middle of the Raptors too, um, finals and every, everything was Vlad Guerrero Jr. And I put up a poll in the middle of that series of like, who would you rather, who would you trade one for the other, Devers for Vlad? And I, I almost got kicked out of Canada. I mean, the, it was, <laughs> it was, it was 10, Ben, it was 10,000 votes. And I think it was just at 50, 50. But I mean, it was like, you could tell where each one of the votes came from. And the people in Canada, the Blue Jays fans, they were, they were like, what are you talking about? How would we ever trade Vlad Guerrero Jr. for Devers? I thought it was a good conversation and it became an even sort of a more lopsided conversation as the season went on. Cause Devers took it up a notch, but you know, I think that that's, that's the perfect example of what you're talking about. Hey Rob, you there? Yes. Yeah. Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, I got, I, you were cutting out I, – I caught almost everything you were saying, but you were cutting it just at the end of that answer. So okay. I can pick up that's, it here. That's okay. Yeah, we can, we can pick it up. Uh, okay. So, it's, so basically, you know, that conversation about Devers and Guerrero Jr., like that's exactly what you're talking about. That's exactly what we're talking about when it comes to these teams. The, the, we think that this, this is going to happen compared to this is happening right now. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like you got got ratioed pretty hard there, and uh, oh. I, I know the I know the feeling. It's never fun when that happens. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, but, so but, you know, me, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Like it, as as someone who's who always has an interest in prospects and always is is trying to you know follow what's coming up through the system. It's so easy to get caught up in that though. But if you look back, I mean, let's let's dial it back 15, 20 years, just because I happen to be looking at one of these Jays teams recently. But you would have, if you had asked me in 2002, like, what, what's the future of the Jays? I would have said Alex Rios and Josh Phelps are going to be studs. <laughs> you know, Russ Adams is going to be just this, you know, this incredible shortstop. Like, they've got, they've got the future figured out. But, of course, it's better to have the sure thing. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you're scratching where I itch. You know, I did half a book on the Blue Jays, the 2003 Blue Jays. Aaron Hill getting drafted and Russ Adams with the – First round pick that year. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I hear I hear you. And you know when you look at, the, but the biggest thing, Ben, when it comes to this division, when it comes to these conversations, it does come all the way back to starting pitching. And that's why the Blue Jays went went out and got Ryu. Right? They had to get someone. We knew that, right? You there? Oh, I mean, they, yeah. oh yeah. I mean, I mean, they absolutely had to. It was just there was too much Edwin Jackson. There was too much Clay Buckholes. Like. You know, these guys were at the end of their careers. They absolutely had to go out and get some guys. And really, it had to be more than one pitcher to have any shot of competing. So when the, when the rumors were flying around about David Price, did you buy those at all? Was there serious interest, you think, for the Blue Jays? My, my read at the time was, so the Blue Jays check on everybody, as, as most front offices do. So my read was the Blue Jays do an initial check on David Price. They want to figure out how much of his contract the Red Sox would be willing to absorb in a potential trade. So there was due diligence there. Price is still a good pitcher, if not a great pitcher. And the Jays needed good pitchers. So they were going to check. But at the same time, I never got the sense that their interest was super serious on Price. And when that story came out in late December, I believe it was Ken Rosenthal, obviously does great work. And the story was um, basically that the Blue Jays were checking on, on Price and, and circling back there, which again, I believe, but the timing of that seemed like it might have been leaked by the Blue Jays with a view toward pushing Ryu toward getting a deal done. Now, I don't know. That's total speculation. 
But if I was in the Blue Jays front office and I was feeling like things were getting close on Ryu, I might leak something like that to nudge it over the finish line and make sure you get it done. Or, or how about the other side of it? Maybe it was leaked by the Red Sox. I mean, there was, uh, you know, going back to the winter meetings, I forget who had it. Someone had reported oh, heavy interest in David Price or David Price is garnering or a lot of interest at the winter meetings. And then we're sitting there a couple months later and we're sitting there or a month and a half later. And it was like, well, you know, the problem is everyone was trying to take advantage of that market. You know, Clevenger with the, with the Indians, uh, you know, Robbie Ray with the Diamondbacks. It wasn't just like that the, the Red Sox had the only pitcher available that you could get in a trade at, at, a, at what was perceived as a reasonable rate for a top of the rotation guy. So I don't doubt at all that the Red Sox are pushing that narrative. And it's fascinating to hear you say that because I could see it happen in both ways, whether the Blue Jays or the Reds. After the season they had last year with a 5.25 ERA, I mean, they just had to get somebody. And it's not any disrespect toward a Chase Anderson or a Tanner Roark, but I don't think those guys are here because the Blue Jays see all-star potential. I think they're here because they needed someone to pick up those innings. All right, so you go through uh, – how many years now this front office has been sort of in place? Which Man, it's come – yeah, coming up on five years now because they wow. took over at the end of 15. So now we're in 2020. So nearly five years. Wow. And so, so you have five years. And when they came over, it was, oh, this is, this is how teams are built. You have to be patient and, and you just can't throw money at, at the problem and everything else. But here you're sitting here heading into this offseason. And the perception was that they, had, they did have money to spend, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, the perception was that the money was there and there were questions as to whether they would spend it or find any takers for it. Okay. So after five years, is there, is there an impatience with this group? Is, are people, um, because I would imagine the first few years, you do get the sort of, hey, we see other teams have done it this way. You're just going to have to trust us. And this is how it's going to work. This you know, by it's the dangerous thing is any five-year plan. I remember JP Ricciardi saying that to me. It's, you know, it's like <laughs> five-year, saying you have a five-year plan, it, it'll buy you some time, but it's dangerous when you get to the fifth, that fifth year. So is there an impatience with this group? You know, I think the group itself has, has really veered away from, like there would be a big difference between the, the group itself and how they view themselves and how they operate. And then the fan base, um, the fan base got really frustrated. I think that this group came into a, a difficult situation in some ways from a perception standpoint because they were replacing Alex Anthopoulos, who, of course, had just built an incredibly successful, incredibly popular team. Anthopoulos himself was Canadian, very likable, personable guy, as you know, Rob. And, you know, it, it, was, it was a tough act to follow in a lot of ways, especially when the team started performing way worse. So the perception going into this offseason – was pretty harsh on, on this front office. They were very unpopular. The nickname for Shapiro and Atkins is Shatkins. That is not a nickname that I use, but I'm just putting that there to kind of paint, paint a picture for you. So that's, that's the perception side of things. And then behind the scenes, I mean, you mentioned patience, and I think this group is extremely patient. I think that the way that they operate is patience. It's taking the long view. They're not going to take short-term risks unless they, they fall in line with the long-term vision. And they are willing to be criticized. They are willing to be um, unpopular um, if it means that it advances their vision. And gradually, we have started to see the progress as guys like Biggio and Bichette 
um, who are acquired by this front office have made the major leagues, Nate Pearson on the brink of the major leagues. And then it, it further helped things. It really, I think, was probably the biggest step forward from, from a perception standpoint for this front office happened when they signed Hyunjin Ryu. Because right there, regardless of you know, whether it's a good deal or not, and that's still an open question, but regardless of where it leads, that's an $80 million commitment for a guy who was second in Cy Young voting last year and who is undeniably a good starting pitcher. He has a track record. That's spending money on the kind of player that fans wanted. So that did help things. It, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when uh, Dayton Moore was getting going in Kansas City. And, uh, and you know, you, you, you spend your money on a pitcher, on a starting pitcher, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the starter that he invested in. Gilmash? Um, Was it Gilmash? Well, it might, yeah, it might have been. It might have been. And, and so you, you invest into that one guy because you, you know you need the anchor. And if, if you miss on the one guy, it can really, really hurt you. It can hurt you in, 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 in a, another way. Then this isn't really apples to apples, but the Orioles did it when they, they went out and got Alex Cobb. Oh, we, we have to get a pitcher, so we're going to get four years to Alex Cobb. But it's, it's a dangerous thing to say we have money to spend and we need a pitcher, and this is the guy we're going to get. So you have to sort of hit on that. But I guess the lesson to be learned from that Kansas City scenario was that ultimately they did win, and they won because not because of Gilmesh. They won because of the, the guys who were – now you would think with the Blue Jays were like BGO and, and, and Guerrero and, and these sort of guys, the same sort of deal. And I'm sure that that's what they're banking on. And, um, you know, it's, I get, you got to do what you got to do, sure. But uh, I can see a lot of similarities. As long as you, you know that you aren't going to get fired by ownership, I guess you can do that, right? But you better, hit, yeah. you, you better find that guy, because they did find the guy, right, in Kansas City. They, they found him in um, – uh, now I'm trying to blank again, but you end up finding him, but you just got to be careful. You don't hamstring yourself. And if, if you is not the guy. Exactly. I do think that, you know, there are so many, so many points of reference around baseball for kind of taking your shot with this kind of thing. And when Shapiro and Atkins were in Cleveland, they spent big on Nick Swisher and Michael Bourne and that didn't work out great. You know, you look at, at Ben Charrington, who was in the Blue Jays front office until he left to become the Pirates GM. And he was one of the, one of the main voices, really, along with Atkins and Shapiro. And I think back to his time in Boston where, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, but like the perception was that he was not someone who was going to go out there and spend big. He was going to be cautious. And then when he did spend big on Pablo Sandoval and Hanley Ramirez, I mean, those deals didn't work out. So you, you kind of do have to hit. You have to have some luck along with that development and, and along with all that work you do with the grassroots level. On yeah, the it, it, and it's, it's funny you bring up Sherrington because I think that the knock on him, because, Ben, the problem was when you people are going to bring up Sandoval and Hanley and those signings, but the problem is you don't know who was, who was driving the bus on who. So, in other words, you know, they signed Pablo and Hanley and some of these other guys, and, like, was that Lucchino? Was that the ownership? You know, that isn't the case. You, you know who's in charge with the Toronto. Much like when the Red Sox, when Dombrowski took over, you knew who was pulling the strings there. The knock on Ben really was that he was sort of along the lines of what you're talking about with Toronto, that he was overly patient you know, with a lot of things, that he wasn't pulling the trigger on a lot of things. But he won a World Series. He won it in a, in a year which nobody thought he was going to win the World Series at all. 
Um, so it is interesting because obviously Ben also comes from the Cleveland organization way back. Um, was, uh, am, I, am I crossing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, no, he did. Yeah. 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 And um, so, uh, so you have to dig in. And I think the biggest thing is something I mentioned, which is you have to have the person at the top understand this is how we're doing things. And, and I, I would imagine the ownership is okay with it because once again, the payroll has been pretty low. Yeah, exactly. And you can, you can chart a potential path ahead here where they have a lot of room. They have some good young players. So, you know, without, without knowing the ins and outs, I would think that if you're a Blue Jays fan, if you're Blue Jays ownership, front office, like they're, they're feeling right now as though this is a team that has good things ahead and that they're through the worst of, of the rebuild. I mean, certainly after the last couple of seasons where they've essentially been non-factors in the playoff race, it's been some pretty dismal crowds, especially compared to 15 and 16 when Rogers Center had, you know, 45,000 fans every night. We were setting records on, on TV as far as, you know, viewership was, was off the charts. It was like a million people a night watching Blue Jays games on a, on a weekday against the Rays. Like, that's unheard of. But um, they, have, they have a lot of ground to make up in that sense. But they have a lot of ingredients here where you can point to them and say, hey, there should be some good things coming. What can they learn from, from um, Alex Anthopoulos? Man, it's, it's such a different front office. Um, I, I guess the one lesson I would point to is that if you win, then fans are going to be extremely there for it. Like, they're going to show up. Like, that's, that's something that, you know, in all those years where the Blue Jays were – kind of around 500 and way behind the Yankees and Red Sox, fans didn't really show up that much. But now you have two wildcard teams and there's opportunity there. So I think that if the Blue Jays have a good team, there's no doubt that fans in Toronto will show up. It's obviously a, a big, big sports town and people love a winner. I mean, it's, it, the diehards still show up, but people love a winner. So if this team wins again, I think we'll see Rogers Center full in, were, in pretty short order. What were ticket sales like for this year early on? You know, I think I think they were low. Like I think they were in line with what they were last year. I don't I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think they were low. And the expectation was, if and when the Jays win, then it would. Go. Right, but it's but there was definitely because of the like we talked about earlier in the podcast, there definitely was a, a different vibe coming into this year because of the young players. But you're saying that there's still a little bit of all right, go out and show me. You know, we're we're not going to invest our money quite yet. You have to go out and show me, at least get through the first month or two, and show me that these young players who everyone has said have been so good, that they actually are something. Yeah, exactly. And I think until it becomes a challenge to, to get those tickets, then fans will be more content waiting. I mean, it got to a point, and you would have been here for, for a lot of those games, but it got to a point in 15 and 16 where the market for sec the secondary market for tickets was exploding. I mean, people were selling them for two, three, four times face value. And we're just not at that point now. So fans can just fall back in the box office if they want. So that first opening day, so the opening day, the mythical opening day that we are not going to see, um, what that, that I would imagine would be sold out. There would be a lot of excitement, but we've seen this before. I went to a Tampa opening day and it sold out. And then the next day there was like three people there. But uh, was Ryu would have started that game, right? The opener? Yeah, yeah Ryu would have started. And I Had think, he named him know, yet? Had he been named yet? No, hadn't been officially named. But, I mean, as long as he was healthy, he was going to be the guy for that right, game. Right, right, right. 
So who do you like in that? Who do you like in that game? Eduardo I mean, Rodriguez against Ryu against Blue Jays against the Red Sox. I think that that game in itself is pretty even. Honestly, like you've got a couple really good left-handers, you've got some some good lineups. I'd still probably give the Red Sox a little edge, but you know, there's slight home field advantage in baseball. So I'd, I'd say it's pretty even for that game, but over the course of a three, four game series, I'd still take Boston. Oh, really? Oh, so yeah. who's, in the, who's, who's, who's in the second game? Who's uh, probably Tanner, Tanner Roark, I guess, against Ovaldi. Is that probably Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ovaldi's been, I mean, that's the one thing with the Red Sox <laughs> going through spring training, not that it makes a difference. But Rodriguez and Ovaldi, both very, very good so far. Um, so who's, who's in game three? I guess it could have, it would have been either Chase Anderson or Matt Shoemaker. Okay. Now, now the big one game four, the Sunday game, because, because I'm going to tell you why this is such an intriguing game in a second, but who would be going there for the blue Jays? I guess it would have been the other one of Anderson or Shoemaker. So you have, you have kind of this group of right-handers who don't really throw that hard, but that's that's basically who would be going there. Well, that would have been an epic matchup because you know who's going would have gone for the Red Sox, Ryan Weber, the guy who went into the went into Rogers Center last year. You remember this game, Ryan Weber? Remind me. Ryan Weber pitched six innings, one run, and I don't know if you have uh, witnessed Ryan Weber pitch, but he's. You talk about you know soft throwers. I mean, he's. I said this like so. There's probably pitchers who are shorter than he is but he definitely has the smallest jacket size in the yeah. major leagues when it comes to starters he is really? a guy that looked like he won a contest and he just goes out and pitches well and so he was up and down last year but the, his signature moment was he went into Rogers center i believe it was that series in may out of nowhere and pitched six innings gave up one run um it was a great moment for him and he's he's been He's basically earned the number four, spar- four starter spot on this team, which is bizarre, Ben. You, you have the Boston Red Sox with a $200 million payroll, and this isn't a knock on Weber, but Weber is the fourth starter, and the fifth starter, I don't think there's any question about it. They were going to go with an opener. That, that is bizarre. That is, that, that is not like anything that we've seen in Boston in a long, long time. And, and that's where, like, you think about the impact. Obviously, we've seen sale go down, but you think about the impact of, like, what if Rodriguez pulled a hamstring or something, right? Uh-huh. And then they have two openers and Weber's their number three. Like, that's, where, that's oh. where the depth can disappear quick. Yeah, and we haven't even talked about their number three guy, which was Martin Perez, who I, so I think he told me that the Blue Jays were interested in him. Um, but Martin Perez is, to me, he is the perfect example of how these guys are getting acquired, which is we, don't, we know that you had a terrible year last year, but we see this and we see that. And if you tweak this and you tweak that, you're going to be really, really good. And that's why they signed him. And all of a sudden, that guy is your number three starter. Uh, oh, exactly. I mean, you know, speaking of guys that the Jays had interest in, this, this kind of reminds me of Kyle Gibson, who ended up with the Rangers. But, you know, you look at, at a guy who had an up and down season. He didn't finish very well. He was dealing with some, some health issues. And so, you know, on the surface of it, the results weren't great, but his stuff is there and teams looked at him as a guy that they could get more out of than the twins had. So he ends up getting a really, I think it was three years, 28 million, something like that. And that's, that's because those are the guys that are in demand right now. By the way, as we're taping this breaking news, Noah Syndergaard, former Blue Jay, to undergo, undergo Tommy John surgery. So, uh, yes, once again, um, 
someone having Tommy John surgery, maybe, you know, I guess I would imagine he would have to have it anyway, but if you're going to have it, this might be the year to have it. Um, so does that surprise you? It, I guess it is that year, any sort of like minor surgery, even Verlander, I think it was Bruin, like all these guys now, it kind of does make sense if, you know, if there's any threat of missing a, a half season or full season, who knows what, what shape this season really ends up taking. Yeah, well, I, I, that's why I'm picking Rich Hill to win the Cy Young because he, everyone knew that he wasn't going to be coming back until June, maybe even July, but now it doesn't make a difference. He's going to go on a run for the last three months and be the best acquisition out there. Um, so, Ben, the last thing, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk. And the last thing is sort of on the theme of opening day. What is your favorite? We've all gone through opening days, and it is a cool thing. I mean, we can't discount the, what opening day represents. What opening day will you remember the most? Man, that's a, that's a really good one. I don't know that I have a, a go-to for this, to be honest. I mean, I, I, think, I think it's more so the, that, that return of baseball. And then you have, you know, in, in Rogers Center, at least, you always have the Canadian flag stretching across the entire field for that, for that game. So that's always, you know, a pretty, pretty cool moment for all the fans there. Um, of course, we never have the roof open, and I, I always think that the, the best games in Toronto are the ones with the roof open, um, <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's obviously not, not logistically possible, and it's still pretty cold out, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Do you have one that's, like, a go-to for you? Yeah. Like, I, I don't necessarily have one. Well, it's, it's a, you know, I, and I don't blame you because I think it's more about the vibe of it. What you remember is sort of the vibe of, of the beginning of it all. And then, you know, you get a couple of weeks in, you're like, Oh my goodness, can I take today off? I'm like, I, yeah. I got to go through another four hour baseball game, but it is the, the excitement of here we go. Everyone views it as a, an important day. Um, when I was a kid growing up, there were moments like, Oh my goodness, the Red Sox lost. They, they're going to have a terrible year. Um, and, or, you know, the other way around the Red Sox won, they're going to be awesome. It, it doesn't, we all know it doesn't work that way. My, my favorite probably was, um, when I was doing the book, uh, the, the critically acclaimed cult classic Chasing Steinbrenner in 2003, and um, obviously part of it was on the Blue Jays, but part of it was on the Red Sox. It was Theo's first year, and he let me sort of shadow him a little bit. It was his very first opening day, and so I sat in the seat behind him, right behind him, when the, the Red Sox had the closer by committee. That was closer by committee. And they had a lead in Tampa and then the closer by committee absolutely implodes and ending up with Carl Crawford hitting a walk-off Homer and Theo first year GM, 28, 29 years old, just getting up, you know, and just storming off of, you know, then when you're, when you're a first year GM, you, you have that opening day means a lot. Now it's pro it probably just feels like, Oh, it's just one of 162 games. But that was that was a moment I'll never forget for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty cool, especially when you think about what's what's happened in the intervening years. I mean, from Theo or Carl Crawford ending up being on the Red Sox, that would have been one that would. Oh, I was the closer closer by committee. I mean, even even once again, I mean, this is sort of uh, one of the underlying themes that we haven't even talked about in the Red Sox camp was you tried a version of closer by committee once again last year and it failed. And, and you end up with Brandon Workman as a closer again. So it's like these teams keep trying to come back to it, and they keep landing on, oh, well, you know, it's really nice to have a guy who ends the games. So it's, that's an interesting one anyway. Um, 
Ben, well, I'll let you get going. I appreciate you taking the time. And hopefully, hopefully, cross our fingers, um, we will be able to get one of these real games and not the simulated games, but the real games in up there. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully we have real baseball to, to talk about soon. I know everyone's kind of digging through their archives now and digging through their memories. <laughs> and that, you know, that's great. It actually is kind of fun to look through that old stuff. But then it's like, at a certain point, we're going to want real baseball. So, well, I course, went back. Uh, yeah, I went back, Ben. I went back to look at um, – I was trying to get to when the Red Sox play, had to play up in Toronto when the SARS epidemic was going on in 2003. Right. And, and it's, I, and I don't, it's not, I don't think it's even, even though Toronto was sort of the epicenter of it, it's not comparable to what's going on now, but it was the only thing that we had to grasp onto in terms of um, any, again, going back a few weeks, it seemed a lot more relatable because it was like, Oh, well, our guy's going to want to go to Toronto. Well, guess what? You, you have no chance of going to Toronto. It's, it's completely different now. Yeah, it really is. And, and I think it is a different, a different scale. Um, you know, I, I kind of remember SARS, but even then, I guess I kind of glossed over it in my memory because I was, I was just a teenager at that point. So I didn't really have a full grasp on everything that was going on. But, uh, but yeah, hopefully we have baseball soon. And, and in the meantime, always happy to talk baseball with you, Rob. And uh, hopefully you stay safe. And we'll, we'll be talking some Blue Jays and Red Sox before we know it. Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand-new 303 graphene detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Looking for a free event the whole family will enjoy? ArtFest Midwest features more than 125 local and regional artists on June 25th and 26th at the Iowa Events Center. With fine art, kids' art, and live demonstrations, ArtFest Midwest has something for everyone, along with raffles and indoor air conditioning. Free shuttle rides are also available from the Downtown Arts event at 12th and Walnut. Join us Saturday, June 25th from 10 to 6 and Sunday, June 26th from 10 to 5. Visit ArtFestMidwest.com or find us on Facebook for more details every search you make every click you take they'll be watching you tired of companies like google and facebook watching everything you do online there's actually a simple solution DuckDuckGo. it's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine web browser one-click data clearing email protection and more all for free download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button DuckDuckGo. Privacy Simplified.